how what made you go from um being an um arts and culture student to doing a phd in computer science well i had a passion for technology since before choosing to study music and the arts at university and uh, i was lucky enough that in my curriculum there were some courses in computer science and multimedia production like not much but definitely some and i chose to do my thesis uh with the professors that were teaching those subjects so my interest was clear then of course uh, to transition it's not obvious that they would just accept you in the program in fact i had tried to enter some phd programs in musicology and i failed i tried uh 3 4 different places in a couple of years oh. and then i just did something else so that i have a gap between my master's degree and my phd i started my phd when i was 28 29 uh and i was a musician guess of all things so of course my interests have always been clear it's technology and the arts and i started collaborating with a research project in 2009 um uh doing something very practical i was helping out i was a a research assistant literally in that i was doing something technical to support the researchers and because that let me set a foot back into academia and the project was in collaboration with the department of computer science of the university of verona in italy then you know i was already close to that environment and that made it easier for me to be known and to be wanted to be supported they say why don't you apply for a phd and i said i would really like to do you think I could get in. I mean, I have a master's degree in something completely different, and I think it goes to their credit that they were open-minded enough in Verona to accept motivated students with a different background to pursue a PhD in computer science like myself and there was someone else coming from the field of psychology there. So, actually back to your answer, passion. My passion has always been technology and the arts. I haven't like changed my mind after my masters. So your passions been technology and computers all the time then like what made you not do that in the beginning I'm I'm just curious to know how what made you make sure. the decision to not directly get into computer science as, as your bachelor's and towards your PhD Yeah well um first of all since when I was in middle school I uh was doing anything technological that I could and following courses that were even not meant for children of my age then like uh but then sure I oh like morse code telecommunications being into radios wow. and the citizens band <laughs> uh, stuff like that I wanted to learn how to weld and solder and do circuits and play around with that stuff but my father wouldn't really support that because he thought I was at that age when you need to be trained in the classics and latin and literature you know culture that you will uh you know have with yourself for life uh, when you're still building your personality and all and that kind of technical stuff you can always learn later on in life Yeah, I get it, but I still hold it against him that he didn't let me pursue what was clearly my interest even back then. 
And when I was 18, 19 and finished with high school, I did consider going uh, to the, you know, a program in engineering. But the simple answer, the main answer is that I would have had to move to another city, whereas music and musicology was right there in the city where I was already living. So that made a difference in financial terms for my family to support me. And so I chose music. So basically your passion was in technology all the time, but you still decided to go into arts and music? Yes, yes. I was extremely passionate wow. about music. Like I don't want to Very say this rewarding. to you, but in India, it's the opposite. I mean, if you were in India, um, most most parents would love to um, let you do anything related to technology and put you in science because that's cool in India. It's much way mm-hmm. cool to be in um, doing something in technology than studying about arts and crafts. Like that's that's what I think, and that's what um, I've been. I've had friends surrounded with, around myself who always have been have behaved that way. Like who've always liked science and technology more than arts and culture. And in arts, it's generally not even arts. There's history, and there is mm-hmm. okay, there's a lot of culture. <laughs> so. Well, I never said my parents encouraged me to become an artist. I don't know that any parents loves to do that. You know, they let me free enough to pick something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have probably been happier with engineering. Because when you study law, engineering or medicine, you end up having a real job, right? right. A decent job, a respectable job. I studied music because I loved it. I was gonna do something with my life eventually I also worked as a journalist I was a teacher you find something it's not that I want yes okay no I confess I wanted to be an artist in fact you wanted to be an artist wow (laughs) yes uh, but around the time I was precisely 28 after pursuing music trying to make it as a musician to pay my bills with music I realized that I was just struggling and that in well, that's for another story. I told this story on another podcast, but that was just about time to realize that it, I, I needed a real job. And that's when, by pure coincidence, I think I was so lucky. I was, you know, saved last minute by this opportunity to collaborate with a research project. I got, you know, so excited to be in contact with the research environment again. And I started a PhD and I never thought that I could love it so much more than music to which I had devoted my life. And I ended up working in academia for the next 10 years, which is up until now, until 2020, basically. So, yeah. Right. So how did you feel when you first got into research? Like, um, what was your first day like? Do you want to talk about it? Oh, first, sure. It was April 1st, 2009, I remember. And I felt like this huge responsibility to be part of a community that I respected so much that I couldn't believe that, you know, especially for me, that you're, you're asking me, I got to speak from my experience. I was coming from being a singer and entertainer until four or five months prior in Egypt, of all places. And now here I was, I was back in Italy. Uh, walking to, uh, you know, my desk space 
right there for me on day one to start doing exciting things with other people, learning a lot. And uh, I just I just loved it. Uh, the first day, uh, well, the first day was special about the first day, you know, <laughs> we worked. I can tell you that. I mean, they, I guess, showed me around the basic mm -hmm. things when the printer was, but we immediately went down to work. And I just loved waking up and going to work every day to the point actually that initially I tried to resist not going during the weekends because the most people would not be there but the department would still be open I had a badge to get in and initially despite my enthusiasm I would fight my will to go and do more work because I was just so excited about it and then slowly I gave in and I started going there Sundays afternoons and I actually started a period of overworking myself quite a bit. That's also how, you know, you know, my CV is pretty long. I've done a lot of things and I, that's how. I'm not recommending that anyone else does that. Some people in research will do that. This is a job that you do out of passion. Nobody, you know, points a gun at your head <laughs> and say, you'll be a researcher. You cannot be a, an, an innovative, creative researcher if you don't have the drive for it. And so uh, from day one, it's just been an escalation of more hours at work, but it's all been such a fantastic ride. Tremendous, incredible. The fact that you can travel, you know, being in academia, looking back at this decade, it's, it's amazing because you can travel uh, normally you are reimbursed for all those trips. You meet people from all over the world that are normally equally driven in what they do. Mm -hmm. And you realize, especially looking back after a decade, that beside the intellectual journey, which has been so amazing, this has changed me as a person. This has prepared the terrain for me being a science communicator right now, for example, but just what it did to me as a person. So for me, it's been grand. It's been fantastic. Uh, I did not plan it in advance. There, Many people talk today about having a clear vision, a clear plan, a strategy, because otherwise, how can you get what you want if you don't know what you want? I did not plan to switch from music to computer science. I always followed my passions. And as you progress, if you give your 100% at each step of the way, I think that doors open and even doors manifest themselves that you didn't know were there. This is my non-strategy <laughs> for life. Right. You know, like again, like you said, like follow your passion. I mean, with me, like, it, the, it's different for different people. Like different people have different passions for different durations. Some people have a passion for their entire life. Some people have a passion for a few weeks. Some people have a passion that changes every six months which is why I see you know um if you were ever a kid um let's say you ever um said let's say for example that hey you love playing badminton then um your parents get you all that equipment and a few months later you're like oh I don't like it anymore then you just had to switch your sport mm. and get into let's say I don't know basketball and then they get your basketball but some people like that but for me it was more like um my passion like like I wouldn't call it my passion, but my um, hobbies, they change every four to five years. Like, let's talk about video editing. I started editing like 
videos when I was I think fourteen, fifteen years old in my tenth grade. I I used to just watch YouTube videos and wonder how they put in those effects of you know turning the video around and everything. That's how I learned it myself. Like I didn't go to I didn't do an additional course that would teach me how how this stuff works. I figured it out myself. So mm-hmm. I really like when you talk about passion and um hobbies that um with you it was a good thing that um you had a pretty long term passion for like your entire life, and I think that's great because um you had multiple passions and I really like that. Yeah, true. I've had other. Passions, but I wouldn't call them passions. They're fleeting They're things. Like I, I played different instruments. I have uh, even the the Morse code mm-hmm. thing. I pursued seriously for a couple of months, and now I just probably remember how to do SOS, <laughs> you know, and maybe some vowels. Okay, oh. you're you're left with some vague knowledge but you just let it go and other things learning languages for example i was really into portuguese at some point and because i've lived in belgium during the past four or five years i really wanted to practice my dutch but i didn't reach a level that i could maintain now that i'm back in italy for example Mm. due to covid so maybe i will just forget more and more yeah, sure. But those two things have always remained. Music and technology. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have something like that that never changed in your life that drives you? That drives me. Um, like I was saying, like my passions change every four to five years and that gives me enough time to learn something. Like for video editing, like today I'm so good enough. If you ever open up my LinkedIn or any of my social media platforms, I'm able to create a lot of micro content which I'll be doing after this episode for LinkedIn and Instagram. So I pretty much like that. I may not love it as much as I did before, but there's just something about it that still keeps me going. And I think for me, that's the result. Like I'm driven by the process and a part of the result. And I think that's what like my passion just, I think I only need passion to get me started. I, Right. And I just need the compatibility with the process and the um, satisfaction with the results to just keep keep myself going. That's just about right. Yeah. When kids have an interest for something and their parents support it, I think that their parents should maybe, depending on the situation, encourage that they keep at it for a little while. Right. Because... In order to get the reward from certain things, you need to get a little bit good at it. And that takes Mm -hmm. time. That goes beyond the initial enthusiasm. It goes beyond the initial enthusiasm. And then you realize... Yeah. Exactly. Like, um, coming back to your question... Because things are hard. um, Yeah. Now, I remember, like, I used to study German and I was very good at it. Like, I could understand every single thing that was going on. I think I was 12 or 13 years old when I started learning German. They just got it up in my school that if anybody wants to learn, they can learn it. And again, obviously, mm-hmm. first they they took an entrance test. I didn't do well. Then I took external tuitions. And that's how I started learning German. And then eventually I got back in my school classes. So now I was learning it as a proper subject in my school. And I was taking extra tuitions for it. And I mean, I learned every single thing possible. And um, like here in Pune, they have um, the Goethe Institute. And um, they... They had this festival in which they were um, 
going to show us movies in german so i remember watching tom sawyer in german and i understood every single word <laughs> of it i mean i'm so impressed my german is so poor so hard yeah and again like i cleared my exam like i cleared my a1 then my a2 like the student level fit one and fit two but again that was eighth and ninth grade but then it's been like five years so i don't know much i cannot speak <laughs> as fluently as i could back then but i can still hear a few words and at least i can figure out what's going on in that conversation i mean if i just mm-hmm. read a little bit more i think i'll be good enough again i don't know i guess you i think even you will be good enough in portuguese just pick up a book that's just what i think well you know then you'll have to consider that my primary language is italian which is pretty close to portuguese especially mm. from the language you start from and german So congratulations on that. <laughs> Would you call that a passion though? A, no, a passion I think for I German or it's for learn an ability yeah, because a, in yeah. India like we have so many languages, right? I mean I know Hindi and Marathi. Right? So like Hindi is a language that a lot of people th- almost throughout the um, northern part of the country speak. and marathi is something mm-hmm. they speak in maharashtra meaning near mumbai and pune where i am from so you need to know these two languages then obviously since i'm in an english medium school where the primary language is english that's english so like three sub i have i know three languages so it just became an, a habit for me an ability to learn new languages it became a necessity as an indian like i i feel like you have to learn new languages and it just sort of comes to us and i think that's how i was able to learn german have you had, ever put it to use besides watching movies at the goethe institute have you traveled to germany or had german mm, friends i haven't had the opportunity you know, have you practiced it you know i mean i've been to sweden yeah but again and again the, i i was able to understand part of the language because it was kind of similar to german I don't know why, but those words mm-hmm. sounded familiar. So I could understand a few words, and I could just assume. But again, it's wrong to assume. It might end up being something else. Sure, you know, you made me think what a passion really is, because I've had many uh, interests similar to that of uh, that you've had for German. Mm. But a passion is maybe something that you cannot not do. German, you say, I like it. I'd like to learn it. Why not? I have the opportunity. I will give it a try. A passion is really something that needs to drive you that eats you from the inside if you don't do it. That keeps you up at night. You lose yeah. sense of time when you do it. That's a passion. What 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 And, was what was like it for yeah. you? Like were you up at night during researching that oh my god. Um I just don't want to sleep. Sure. I want to go up there next morning. Have you ever felt like that? Yes. Big yes. Yes. at home endless times and also just staying overnight at the lab and you know some colleagues coming in the morning mm-hmm. looking at you feeling sorry for you and others <laughs> in awe <laughs> but yeah and i wasn't the only one sometimes cuz there are so many driven people in research it's amazing to see uh someone with a deadline or a big project So well definitely definitely I guess that person by nature I tend to indulge 
in those types of behavior. I overdo it. I'm obsessive. I pursue something until it's done. Like I don't let go until it's done. It doesn't matter what day it is, what time it is. I just keep doing it. Yeah. Wow. It was the same with music before and then during my years as a researcher. Okay. Not sure that this is... Is this interesting? It is interesting. Does that anyone resonate with this? What What was the payoff of this? Or am I weird? Absolutely I don't know, not. But I am like that. I think it's cool. I am like that. I'm relentless. I'm a machine. <laughs> when I when something needs to be done, I will get it done. You know. Yeah. Like speaking of getting things done, I also heard about your podcast techno culture i was just going through some of your episodes i don't know like that's a pretty amazing picture of you it's like half of you and then a robot on the other side i think it was pretty yes. cool so how do you and that it's a face paint some people think it's photoshopped it was actually painted on my face wow. beautiful i wish it was permanent <laughs> who painted that did you do that yourself or you got somebody else to do it Oh, no, absolutely. I couldn't do it myself. Uh, this was a very talented makeup artist in Ghent, Belgium. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, I, I've seen like you... We can link her somewhere. Yeah. It, it, on my podcast website, in the credits, you definitely find all her contact info and other works. She's amazing. That was, okay. that was fantastic work. Wow. So... Um... I mean, I've still seen you. I saw your latest episode, which was in 2021, April. So how was your first episode like? What was the feeling once you were, before you were going to record your first episode? And how different did you feel after the recording was done? So the first episode I recorded is not episode number one that you see on the website. Because you know yourself, having a podcast, mm. you want to record a couple of episodes before you release the first one. So I, I did that. I think I had four or five recorded before I released mm. the first one. And I ended up releasing first, not the first I recorded. So I remember that the very first I recorded, I went to the guest in person I wasn't doing video yet, though, then, so mm. the interview is just published as audio. And I remember only having one microphone and for, an, uh, like, too long a story, but for technical reasons. So I showed up with just one microphone and uh, I asked the guests to sit side by side with me to use the same microphone which made it so <laughs> embarrassing actually I know. and later on i figured out a way not to have to do that even with just one microphone but that day i showed up at this big professor's office and we sat down and he was very kind but he didn't have much time so i felt the pressure we sat down and um i think that i i I don't know how good I am at what I do, but I know that when I start doing it, I'm really into the interview very much. And I forget about my worries about, about me. Who cares about me if I'm scared or anything? I'm just focused mm. on the guest, on what's interesting about what they're saying and on the next question and how we can wrap this up. How long has it been? I keep an eye on time and all of that. 
And I can tell you that it's been a really interesting conversation, which has also always been the point of what I've been doing. Uh, we don't prove anything. It's really about having an interesting conversation. Uh, it's not a demonstration of anything. So in the moment when I'm there, I really ask questions that are curiosity driven, although I prepared before, but then in the flow, you know, you always find something interesting to ask. And uh, we went on for, I guess, just a little less than one hour. Towards the end, someone started drilling outside because I'm always lucky that way. There's always some noises. And towards the end, you know, then uh, he left the room immediately when we were done, when I was, you know, putting all my gear together again mm. in the bag and everything. So I didn't have time to think and decompress until I was actually gone from the office. And I remember being overwhelmed with emotions like, oh my God, I did it. Oh my God, I <laughs> did it. You know, and, and technically I did not have a podcast yet because it was not released. Nobody knew. I could have still changed my mind and said, no, 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 I cannot do this. But I loved it and I couldn't wait to go home and edit the episode. I wasn't doing much editing back then, to be honest. Then I learned the sweet spot, not to edit too much, but to do some editing out of respect for the listeners. And because the guest, you can make them, you can make him or her, the guest sound much better without distorting their style or message. So there's a sweet spot of editing right there. Mm. And, and my next interviews were different than that one because somewhere on Skype, so I was not with the guest okay. in the same room. And I changed my setup, my, I, my equipment and my workflow along the 40-something episodes that I have out. But that was the first one. I was scared. I was scared to mess up. I was scared, <laughs> sure. When was your first interview? Five. And what number is this one with This one's going to be the second one. Like, see, like, people, like, they gather everything oh together God. and just um, put it together. For me, I'm just going to record it and upload it whenever it's ready. I mean, eventually, I'm not going to start recording so much over the next two weeks, three weeks. And I can literally have um, proper planning on when I'm supposed to upload. And I can create a workflow. My first mm -hmm. episode, it was, um, I, th I believe, on May 10th. Right now on May 10th. Right. With this um, student named Fardeen. I met him on Instagram and I just asked him nicely that, Hey, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? He said, sure. And I mean, my first mm -hmm. episode, I was nervous. I mean, you're seeing me talk like this now with a proper mic and everything back then. I mean, I didn't even, I was just yes. like, okay, I'm, I'm locked up in my room. I want to do something about it. I want to, I, I always, I like the idea of um, distributing and passing on information and knowledge to audience and that does not mean i like to teach and that's what people get confused i just like telling stuff and creating meaningful experiences for people i mean as a kid i wasn't like people uh, i was somebody who would be called an introvert but it didn't bother me it doesn't bother me as much anymore because you know um I'm kind of working towards being more balanced. I mean, I don't want to be super introverted, but I don't want to be as extroverted as Donald Trump either. Right. Oh, you, you don't yeah. want that. So I, I just like to keep Ouch. that balance. Yes. I like to hear what you just said. 
And uh, well, so you're just at the beginning. You yes. look very confident. Thank That's you. good for you. I like what you said. I like what you said about sharing good content and information. Mm -hmm. I think I have it somewhere hanging here on my walls, close to my podcast notes and ideas. It says to share a sense of wonder with the world, you know, wow. to learn new things and to consider them worth sharing. You know, mm. when you find something new that excites you, you want to share it. Yes. You want to tell someone how cool this is. And if you thought that is cool, you don't just say, oh, look at this. They say, hey, look at this, how cool this is. That's already moving some good energy, I think. I mean, it's valuable. Yes. So good it for you. Very, very valuable. Right. So like this, is, this, this is like my second episode where I can like, my first episode, I didn't even have a mic. Like, I didn't even know I had this mic and it actually works. Um, so I use my iPhone and I connected it to my laptop. Like you can literally just plug it in and use your phone as a mic. Mm -hmm. That's what I did for my first episode. I was very, very nervous. I didn't know. I mean, if you've ever noticed, I stuttered a lot in the beginning of that epi very episode itself. But I think it's cool. I don't I think mean, it was yeah. noticeable. I felt that way because, you know, um, I mean, it's like, you know, when I'm speaking right now, I'm like, yeah, I sound good. But when you listen to your own voice, have you ever felt like that's not my voice? And what's your reaction to you um, when you listen to your voice? It's still hard. <laughs> it's still hard. The voice and sometimes just how I speak. I listen back. I, I listen back and I literally say, I have to ask someone else. I said, did that make sense? <laughs> Did that make sense what I just said over there? So for a period of time, um, because I only had one microphone, I came up with this idea that I would go to my guests, only record their voice with the microphone, and my voice would still be in the recording because mm. even if I'm sitting far away from the microphone, you can, you know, hear yourself, but softly, just as a reminder, as a note of what the question was. And I would go home and cut all of those uh pieces of audio out yeah. and re-record my questions so I could also re-record them the proper way I without repeating like, myself. That's your strategy. I, you know, you have to get good at doing it. I don't think I always did it in an optimal way, but those episodes I started sensing what good content is. I don't think that I'm really rambling right now, but there is a specific way of delivering specific content. We're still chatting right now, but right. when you were talking about something specific that's scientific, mm -hmm. that you want to explain a theory, share an idea, there is a very nice way, like they speak in documentaries, you would say, right. that is almost like reading from a textbook. It needs to flow. It needs to be clear. There are no uh, 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 in-between or repetitions mm. or looking for words. And by re-recording my questions, I was able to sound like I always knew what I was saying because the process allowed so, for it. So like pre-recording works for Then I started doing you. video. And then you started video. It did work, yeah. And then I started video and I realized that it was just the way to go. I loved it. I still love it. But it limits you in what you can do in editing. Hmm. For example, right now, right here, I could not add a sentence because I wouldn't have footage of myself and I can cut but you would notice maybe jerky movements in the video so you can do some of that for sure but not too much right 
then you don't need to edit as much when you do video because if I make a small pause but you see me on video it won't be as bad um, on your ears as if you were only listening to me then silence you say what's going on why is she silenced but you see me thinking maybe mm. or um, showing where my walls are where my notes you know what I this it, it it's more dense with information video that's what I like about it but it's all a different approach I don't know this is not how to do it this is how I do it out of experience mm. what I found that works for me I admire people that can produce almost uh, extemporaneously content for platforms like TikTok or Instagram. Mm. I'm not good at just grabbing my phone and recording right there and then in the street or in my car, one minute of content. I'm not good at doing that. I'm a fan of prepare, prepare, record, produce. Mm -hmm. I know everybody has I admire their own those strategy. people. Do you do that? Yeah, like... Do you do that? Are you on TikTok? We don't have TikTok in India. In it's been Mexico. banned. It was banned a year ago. Wow. Yeah, because due to okay. I don't know. Like the government told us that um, China is using it to spy on us or something, and due to a national security threat, they just banned the application. But again, we have alternatives to TikTok. We have Instagram Reels. Reels are crazy in India right now, mm -hmm. and the new mm -hmm. remix feature just makes it even better. Like just today, um, like I just started, created my Instagram page, like uh, I think a week ago, I wasn't posting any content on that. Today I, I uploaded a reel, which was like a micro content of my previous episode with Fardeen. And I think mm -hmm. it hit like around um, over 30 views in like just, I don't know, an hour. So it was pretty good for me. I mean, from yeah. zero, it went to 30. And I was pretty happy. I was like, hey, wow. Micro content works really well, but when you do what we are doing right now, you can edit it out. It works. Yeah, it works. I'm curious to see what you make out of this. I do hope that it's of some interest. It will. It will. Don't worry. It'll be awesome. Um, I just wanted to ask you before we go ahead with other things. Um, when you talk about your um short techno culture, um, what made you um decide that you want to start a show and what exactly you spoke about to talk on um, what what was the conversation with your audience like your guest like yes what prompted me to start my own podcast i don't think that there's ever an easy answer to that i know that a combination of things um i was listening to podcasts then i had basically just discovered the power of the spoken word like that, like mm. in your ears, wherever you go, on the train, on the bus, which we, we've had this technology for many years, but for some reason, it takes some time for something to become mainstream. Mm. And so during the past years, it was, say, easier to carry this content around. And at the same time, there was more content available. So I was definitely listening to hours and hours of content and I realized that I love it, that it's powerful, that I want more, that I admire people who do it. Hmm. And at the same time, I was traveling a lot for my research work and I was visiting labs that were not doing the same specific thing that I was doing research-wise. Hmm. So I would have many conversations with people that were working in uh, nearby fields 
doing different things and conversations would get really interesting because we didn't know each other's fields. We would ask, what is this? What do you do? How does that work? And, you know, you have, there is a difference between a casual conversation when you ask questions to the other person and an interview, but it can be a fine line sometimes. Right. And so at some point, um, I can tell you what prompted me to really start a podcast because I had the idea and I was thinking, you know, who would ever listen? How could I make it as interesting and as the things that I'm listening to? You know, why put myself out there? I would just add noise to what's out there. I wasn't self-confident enough mm. to do it. And then one day I listened to a podcast. I completely forgot which one it was. Don't ask me. I sincerely forgot. That's okay. I'm not going Even to say I don't remember what, nice about it. I don't remember what was the, the first podcast that, you know, drove me to start one for myself. Like, like now it's, it hasn't even so been a I month and to... I forgot. <laughs> right. That was for me 2018 for sure. Must have been hmm. early 2018. And I remember observing that the host was lucky enough to have a famous guest. And instead of kind of being humble and asking questions to the guest who was the expert on the topic of the day, um, he started having a conversation with the guest as if he was a peer of the guest. I did not appreciate that very much because I thought my impression, that he was saying some platitudes without knowing it probably, just out of some ignorance. And I thought it's perfectly fine to be ignorant and it's perfectly fine to ask questions, but you cannot expect to have an expert on your show, you're the host of the show, and start debating your guest. And so why did that prompt me to start my own? Because I, I disapproved of that so much. I said, well, if this guy does a podcast, so can I, you know, and that prompted me to start a couple of things in my life the same way. I resisted, 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 not being self-confident enough. And then I just see someone else do it. And I thought they were horrible or, you know, I mean, I thought something not very flattering about them. And that gave me courage to do it myself. So thank you guys <laughs> for those examples, because if they do it, then so can I. And so I decided to put together my own show. Um, you know, um, uh, in a, uh, what do I want to say? Low profile, just in a humble way. I try to do it the best I can, mm. especially I try to do it how I loved it. I wasn't trying to please anyone else. This was my brainchild. I thought, if I had a podcast, how would I like it to be? And I thought, what really interests me so much that I don't get bored after three episodes? What is that combination of topics and elements and people and that keeps me interested in the first place? And then had to come the title, the name, the graphics, the list of guests. Yeah. Um, some people look for guests. And I understand, depending on your topic, in fact, you may need to look for guests. Right. I never had to look for guests. I always knew who I wanted mm -hmm. to interview. I always had a long list of people. And so it's how I put it together. And the timeline went from deciding to doing it in May 2018 to releasing my first episode at the end of September or October, something like that, in the fall of 2018. So I spent the summer working on it. Wow. 
that's interesting we spent a lot of time oh by the way i think we should go ahead and give a huge shout out to matchmakers for introducing us to each other that's true yeah, yes they do a great service otherwise. yeah no that's a great service yeah absolutely uh they're that's how we got in touch right and i think again like there are lots of ways to get guests but um i really think that matchmakers.fm is a great platform for anybody to get their first guest in case they're struggling to find their very first few guests i mean the best part about it is that you are asking people to be a guest and i mean there's a reason the guests are there on the platform they're there to be guests so the probability of them saying no really comes down unless you know um they are in a completely different um topic and then um they, they talk about completely different stuff there's a really lo- um low possibility that they would say no to you well the feature i love the most is that matchmaker also does some automatic matching and it just suggests possible podcasts and possible guests so you get to learn mm. about new podcasts discover new shows and as a podcaster you may also have guests that pitch themselves to you and say hey i would like to be on your show that mm-hmm. must feel awesome i know that feels happens. awesome i mean i have had a few i don't want to like rank show but again like i've got a couple, one or two people who um asked me if they could be a guest on my show so i told them that yeah yes. I, i will let them know because this week i'm really packed like i have got episode recordings back to back like i have one today i have another one tomorrow I have one every single day in the evening. Yeah. I know the I know, I know the feeling. I know, I mean And you don't want the internet to let down. <laughs> right. So again, like if I were to I mean I really I really want to thank Matchmaker for this episode. I mean thank you. That's all I can do. I wish I could do more for them, but I really appreciate the platform. Right. The same. Mm-hmm. So if I were to ask you what what you um spoke um spoke about when you said um technoculture you um interviewed people ab- about technology so do you remember exactly like um what different kind of technology you spoke about with them Of of course mm-hmm. um well we don't just talk about technology per se it's yeah. always about how technology impacts our lives the use that humans make of technology so sometimes we may yes start talking about a technology but then talk about some social scenarios or focus on a specific research that is being done in space exploration or in cybersecurity or I talked about cultural heritage mm. in an episode because now it's all digital so you know the combination of culture which is meaning for us humans and what it means to have it all represented in zeros and ones and stored somewhere what about access what about distribution so it's very broad as a topic I spoke to very different people I went to NASA in California when i was there i could visit in person so we spoke about uh their research in antarctica and then i've been to you know to norway to talk with a viking archaeologist that gave a very interesting perspective on how to use the tools that vikings were using which is technology if you think about it the mm. tools that they were using that back then that is technology then, to 
that is technology. Yeah. Uh, of course, when we say technology today, we mostly think of digital technology, communication technology, mm. but you know, in a broad sense, glasses are technology. Uh, really, I mean, you have to draw a line because then anything is a tool, any a fork is technology. It is. But the parallel, the specific parallel that I found was very interesting uh, in that episode is that technology, our technology, digital technology, evolves so rapidly that it's not outlandish to think that in a not-too-far future, some people will have the same type of desire to relive the experience of being alive in 2021 or 1990 and to use those devices, you know, the Nintendo with those graphics, with the big pixels, uh-huh. or the phones without a screen. How was it? Or a computer with only green tones on the screen. I know it seems silly to us because we have seen this stuff. I have seen it. Mm-hmm. I'm 40 years old. But in another 50 years or 100 years, this stuff will look ancient. And maybe people will wonder, how was it to use this stuff? Even how was it to send something with a fax machine maybe and I feel that what we sometimes do with this Viking culture and technology for example is the exact same type of time travel technological time travel we may want to do someday uh, back to our times right that was that episode was about so sorry I made this a bit long but you see I covered a lot of ground I know and that was essential I mean People, I think people would like it if we, um, this part, because I think we went deep with it. We became, we went specific with what technology really means. We just explained to them what, we just explained to the audience what technology means. And I, re- I really hope that, you know, they start, um, we are able to um, change the way they think on technology and that it's not just the digital technology. I mean, who knows what might change in the future? I mean, I really I firmly believe that, you know, like these, even these airports, I don't want to say, um, use them as a specific example, but a few years from now, even they would be like, oh, these things, they are, they're not as fun anymore. They're boring and old because something will um, replace the other. Yes, sure. Mm-hmm. Even too fast. Yeah, it depends now. I mean, there are all these talks about artificial intelligence and everything that it may replace us in five years or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so um, what are your plans for the future? Like, what do you plan? Um, where do I see Federica in like five years? Like, what are you going to be doing over the next five years? Do you have anything in plan? Like, even like a rough idea not a specific plan, but where would you like to be in five years? I should love that question, but I have mixed feelings because as I explained in the beginning of this interview, it's not that I have a long-term strategy for doing things. I mostly tend to give a hundred percent of myself to what I'm doing in the moment. And thus I find out about the next step. So I don't have a long-term vision normally. I know I'd like to be alive and healthy to begin with. Um, But I have to add that COVID really killed 
any possibility for mid to long-term planning. So mm. my personal approach plus COVID made it so that more than ever probably today, even at my age at 40, I'm living day by day. And I just decided to just keep going with more interviews, both on video for the podcast, which everything was installed a little bit during 2020, because at the beginning of the pandemic, who knew it would last so long? So I just mm -hmm. decided to hold on and wait and see when we can go back to normal as soon as possible. It hasn't happened. And so at this point, I decided to, you know, too bad I cannot always travel and meet my guests. Mm. I like Zoom. There's nothing wrong with Zoom. But, you know, if I could travel, that would be better. It's much better. So there's no more waiting. So I will do more interviews very soon on on Zoom and publish them for my podcast. It will all be in video. I have a couple of other projects cooking with different formats, you know, trying to be creative and always love what you do. You know, I know it's such a easy message to give. Who would tell you to do what you hate? Who tells you to do what you hate? Nobody. Nobody. But then many people will just not do the opposite. I say do what you love. It's like almost a moral um, imperative. Do what you love. So in five years from now, I don't really know where I'm going to be. But in the short future, I know that I have started investing in communication, mm. science communication, um, keeping my network alive, giving value to people, experts, and just because of their human value, just amazing, just to let people shine, to be a facilitator, to give a platform the best way I can. That's what I plan to do. And um, not always paid. Let's put this out there. Speaking of monetization and podcasts and mm. all, this is a labor of love and... I'm lucky enough that I can still do it like that. And let's hope that, like I said, let's hope that my theory keeps proving itself true. I hope That then so. opportunities arise. Right. And so on. Right. Um, wait, is this your first time as a guest on any podcast? No, but almost. Almost. V almost. That it was a very recent realization that I could go and be a guest on other people's podcasts. And again, in the beginning, I resisted. And then um, I don't even know how the first interview came to be, <laughs> actually. But I know that I was really nervous. And don't think that I'm not nervous now. It's a very, very different experience to be on your side of the screen and to be on my side of the screen. Mm. I don't feel in control. Like, hey, you lead and you think I'm interesting enough to share my experience. Okay, <laughs> let's hope. Um, no, it's not easy to be on this side, but it, I don't know. It's just something that I really thought was also valuable to do. And I sincerely hope that what I say is of any use for someone listening. It's sincere. I'm not here to, again, to prove anything, like in my podcast. Mm. It's all about being authentic 
and it happens over time you just keep i mean doing eventually what they will love. find out right Again. like what's going on if you are not authentic people will catch that eventually i we need to yeah. stop thinking people are stupid people are very very smart the, we oh, have to give them thank god for, for saying that. that yeah absolutely like your listeners the listenership they're not a bunch of sheep you know that need to be fed some sort of you know easy content they're smart they can select the best content follow their own interest and spot who's authentic who's not mm-hmm. i like what you said absolute respect for for the listeners mm-hmm. and yeah i'm not selling anything on top of that maybe if i had a book or something or i'm not selling anything so i think that because of where you come from we are just truly exchanging an ex- a human experience mm. and that must have some value we are yes. exchanging a human experience right so like, like listeners um how did you feel when people first started interacting with your podcast in form of like reactions and comments not just your audience but also around you your family friends and family members how did you feel uh it always floors me when someone writes something good about the podcast <clears throat> it's not such a popular podcast that i would have haters because haters give you a lot of their time and energy you know i mean uh so my podcast has never been like the target of such harsh criticism um i have received mm, some positive feedback and when it happens it always takes me aback like it always embarrasses me a little bit because i don't know what to respond at first when i see that there has been a comment i'm just terrified i would not want to read it i'm so scared <laughs> and sometimes when it's good i i almost feel like if they praise the interview well they rarely say about something about me personally they say something about the interview or the podcast mm. i almost feel that they're talking about something that uh has nothing to do with me it's something detached it's something external from me that almost i could look with them and say yeah that was good or that's not good because i'm extremely critical of my products mm. so it's not that i'm immune uh from self criticism to begin with and when someone else sees some value in the interviews or in one question that i asked in an interview and takes the time to say it well no i don't think that i have processed that type of feeling yet i don't know what to do with that it it just uh, if there is a positive way to be paralyzed with too much emotion that's what i get i don't know what to do with it but i save them I normally screenshot the comments even if I know they're still online but so that I have them all in one place. Mm. Some interviews were more praised than others. Uh I don't think that they were better or worse interviews is depended on the guest and on the following that the guest himself or herself had. And uh something that made me extremely proud is that when I prepare for an interview I always try to find questions that have not been asked before or not too many times i try to not replicate anything that is already out there and i ask myself what questions could i ask this guest that only i could ask 
what comes mm-hmm. out of me, what is my specific perspective. And sometimes, especially for some popular guests, their followers also watched my interview and they made a comment that either, oh, finally somebody was asking about that mm. or someone found the right angle to ask about that. And that made me extremely proud because I thought, you see, yeah, I'm doing something unique. Only I could do that. I delivered it. Mm-hmm. I took a risk and they received it, mm. received so the you message. Asked- unique questions like nobody would ask them before so yeah i think that made a difference in your podcast yeah hmm. that sounds really interesting well i think that there are i mean how, how do you think of those questions in... like did you like literally think like ask, what, what was your experience like when you were thinking of these questions oh uh, that's a that's an interesting question you you prepare, you expose yourself to as much material as possible that the guest has online or you read their papers. Mm. If there's anything, ask them to send you some material to prepare. And you expose yourself to that. You go through it with an open mind, absolutely, and you take notes. It's really like absorbing stuff. And that absorption will do something to you. You will disagree with something or you will really like something they said and you take notes and you let yourself spontaneously react to that mm-hmm. and some questions will may come spon- uh, like spontaneously because you say oh i wonder i wonder and the interview that you're watching or listening to did not go in that direction so you say oh i'm left with that question i will ask them when i have a chance and sometimes you have to come up with some topics. They don't really just come like that. And I, I just always, I, you know, the, the, the approach I have is as spontaneous as possible. Maybe then I refine it rationally, but I just, most of my working hours are spent staring into the void normally. Sometimes, <laughs> huh, you know, you, you let, you, you don't think some some you you are thought and you let things emerge from within mm-hmm. and you say what what would i like to hear in this interview if i saw it as a someone in the audience what would i like what would work what is interesting because we don't want to do boring things Correct. and so that's how i look for my answers they always come they're always genuine questions. And if sometimes a, a guest has been asked the same questions over and over, just because if you're an expert in topic Z, it's obvious mm-hmm. that everyone is going to ask you those things. And if interviews are short, especially guests that go on mainstream media, very, very popular platforms and have a short time on air, they will always be asked the very same question that is very superficial. And as a podcaster, you have as much time as you want. You want to dig deeper. Sometimes I will ask them, you know, is there something about the topic that you're an expert in that let's assume, of course, you're passionate about that you are not being asked enough? Is there something that is being under-talked Something, you know, that you would like me to ask you. And then we talk about it. I want to say, of course, sure, maybe someone wants to plug a book or something. No, but I will ask them. Do you think that from topic Z that I'm not an expert in, there is an aspect that has not been highlighted enough? 
Also, let your guest help you in finding the the topics. Sometimes they don't need to be questions; they just need to be topics. And you say, "Can you tell me a little bit more about this? How this relates to that?" Or something happens in the news, and then it's COVID everywhere, and you ask two experts in several fields how they can contribute to getting us out of COVID, how COVID impacted that research field, that industry or business. Okay. Man, that, that was a very interesting insight, man. I mean, wow. I really like the idea of, you know, asking them unique questions that you wouldn't get to hear otherwise. I mean, that's why podcasts are there, right? I mean, there's a reason podcasts are now are being looked at as an alternative to mainstream media for information. Because you can get so yes. much more um, knowledge and a lot of more of their experiences than you would otherwise on anywhere. Like you would see them in public, because it becomes repetitive and boring. All right. So uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. It's been. It's, I think we'll wrap up now. It's been. An, uh, it's been an hour. So. Um, yes. Right. <laughs> Who's a talker? <laughs> yes. Wow. I mean, I think. Well, but you're you're the boss here. Mm. You you can stop me any moment if I'm going off the rails. No, it's good. So um, we'll just conclude. We'll just I'll just ask you one last question right now, and then we'll just put an end to this. Because, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, like I never. We actually had a plan. I think we had a plan to go for like thirty minutes, but now we're like at an hour. So I think let's just wrap this up. Um, what would be three lines? Um, you would like to leave the audience with three lines. Yeah, like just three sentences or three phrases that you would like to share with the audience. Hmm. Um. Um. Well. Oh man, you should have asked me to prepare because <laughs> I have too many now in my head. Um, and there is one that I cannot quote by heart that I just mentioned something this is to someone yesterday. Um, I would say, I would say, yeah, awesome platitudes. Oh, gee, we're going to edit this out, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, don't worry uh, about it. Yes, we are. Yeah, so, we may, look, we so may edit this I, part out, the last part especially. We may, we may, we may or... <laughs> We may not. We'll see. Um, well, I have uh, tattoos on my arms. One tattoo on my left arm says, stay human. And for someone who's so much in technology, it may sound funny, <laughs> um, but stay human. Stay human. I don't have to comment the lines. You just said, leave the listeners with three lines, no comments. Stay human. Mm -hmm. On my right arm, my tattoo says, Trust the process. Trust the process. And trust the process. And, um, you know, what I said before, actually, about podcasts, this share a sense of wonder with the world. Hmm. Or the same thing in reverse. Life is people the title of an album of a singer-songwriter I like and it's also just a phrase I mean life is people life is a team sport here's another 
Wow, that's four. <laughs> I think that's four or five, but that was really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. Thank you, Federica. It meant a lot for me to um, come on my show. I, I've, I mean, I've just started. And again, like most of my videos are going to be like, hey, this show is about cybersecurity. I don't want to keep it just about cybersecurity. I want to keep it about life and um, technology as well. I don't want people to just listen to cybersecurity and just, um, you know, take out the notebooks and stuff and use this as a reference. I actually want them to yes. um, not um, not just learn something, but also feel something. I mean, I don't think you can learn anything without actually feeling part of it. I have. Oh, man, what a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, yes. I have never like, in school when I used to read history. I have never read um, any. Let's say if you're talking about the. Um, independent um independence movement of my of india or the french revolution i mean i could not mm-hmm. understand it without actually feeling what it would have been like that's amazing yeah i'll i'll keep that with me i don't just want people to learn something but to feel something fantastic <laughs> i wish that you have a long way ahead of you in this world of broadcasting. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I quite never feel up to the task. So we did this together. We help each other move forward. I thank you so much. Such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Have a nice day, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. You too. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Thank Thank you.